0: Hello and welcome to the Wave Running Podcast. Whoa! Whoa! Right? <laughs> Hello guys, welcome to another episode of the Wave Running Podcast. Today we are joined by Walter, my good friend. He's here with me in Thailand, which is a different location to what we're familiar with in recent years just because now we both kind of live in Australia or Japan as well, I guess. But yeah, welcome to the show, Walter. And do you want to quickly give a rundown of who you are what you're about? Yeah,
1: and it's a... Pleasure to be on this show, Soda. Yeah, so I'm Walter, like Soda and everyone on this podcast, I am a runner. I have been for um, the last couple of years since like um, 2020. I've really been doing it as my main thing and just slowly been building you might have seen on Soda's YouTube channel. I've had some videos on there. I think I started with like a breaking 20 video. Then we had breaking 19, 18 and um, so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, I always talk to a lot of people about how you're know, one of the fastest people that I've seen go from kind of new to running to getting really quick because now you run a sub 16 5k and you haven't been doing it for that long. So it's pretty impressive to see how quickly You've come to that point. But this isn't gonna be your typical episode though. We're gonna talk about a few different factors today that come into play when you're traveling overseas as a runner. So it'll be a different kind of format, but I think it'll be interesting for viewers to know just because both of us are traveling in Thailand right now and we noticed a few things that make running a little more difficult or stuff like that. So yeah. I think the main topics we'll cover in this video are one packing considerations. And then accommodation, followed by food, followed by a bit of training and how to fit it in. And then we'll talk about the heat finally, which is, you know, what affected the times of our race <laughs> significantly. Yeah. We, we may do a race recap, a brief one at the end. But the majority of the episode will be more of those factors that we just mentioned. But starting off with packing, I think you've done a better job at being pretty minimal with the packing because you have a shorter trip. But what are some... Stuff you have to consider.
1: Um, well for me, um, I just wanna have a backpack. This time last year I was travelling in Singapore and Malaysia. I think I was it was two weeks all up and even then I just had a backpack for all my stuff. So I definitely didn't wanna um have any extra luggage. And so everything had to fit in there. So I'd think of what the essentials were. And seeing as we were doing racing, right, I had to pack in for that and also I had to consider the climate as well. In terms of specifics, all I've got on, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see um, I've got like my Brisbane Marathon shirt, finisher shirt. So basically just this sort of material is all I've been wearing around in Thailand just because I need something um, breathable and something versatile. This is stuff that I can have on when I'm just walking around and then get kind of sweaty in. And then like pretty much finish off the shirt by going for a run in it, making it super sweaty. So then I'll wash it later. But just treat everything like that because I've got a limited amount of space. So the more versatile my stuff is, the
0: better. 100%. And I think the interesting thing is because I've been house shopping, dog skinning, cat skinning, and that sort of thing. When I was in Sydney for the past year, I found it annoying having so much Stuff so I ended up condensing all my belongings and getting stuff that can get two things done at once to try and minimize the amount of belongings I have as well. So I totally see what you mean there where you know it's important to pack the versatile items in order to decrease the amount of stuff because one backpack is not that much space for how long are you traveling for
1: again? Um, I think it's eight days, all up. Eight days, yeah,
0: yeah, because you still have to go through a fair amount of clothes, especially if you're racing as well. There's a lot to kind of consider about how versatile can your stuff that you're bringing can be and how minimal. Yeah, I even started buying stuff that are thinner and smaller too to take up less space in order to fit as much as I can in the backpack too. So yeah, it's pretty tricky.
1: Albeit you have bought a couple of shoes while here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I think... And you've made me bring a pair of shoes in my backpack for you. I think I'll be going
0: back with a bit more stuff then. I came with. For mm-hmm. sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I came with like
0: half of my suitcase empty though, because I knew something like this could happen. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, well, in my case, I think I've got like um, six running outfits that I wear everywhere and then go for I and able to go for a run in that includes like underwear, socks, that sort of thing. And then also in terms of the shoes, this is important when racing overseas, but I've just got my daily trainers. Uh, the whole, uh, the Cloud Monsters, and then also my race shoes, Alpha Flies, and that's it. No um, no workout shoe, no um, having different shoes for um, different like easy runs. Just basics.
0: Yeah, I think on the other end of the spectrum, I'm kind of... <laughs> 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 because I know how important it is to have a shoe rotation. I feel like even though my trip isn't too long... I get paranoid about wearing the same shoe all the time because I'm not going to be wearing my race shoes apart from the race, which Mm kind of feels like a waste because you're only using it for the race and nothing else. But as a, you know, competitive runner, in air quotes, you feel like it's important to have that racing shoe that you don't train too much in. Therefore, that's one shoe already wasted. And then I don't want to wear the same daily trainer for the whole trip. And therefore, Mm -hmm. I feel like I need one extra shoe on top of that. But then... I'm also like, I don't want to walk around in my running shoes, so I need another shoe to walk around in and go on the flight with, but that means I ended up having four shoes on this trip, and then I also have my slides and then flip-flops. So I did a terrible job this trip, I think, and I did learn that, you know, for a short trip, I think it can't hurt to just wear one shoe. You're not going to get injured just from, you know, 17 days of running in one shoe, because Yeah, you know, the shoes I brought are all brand new. Like they're not it's not like they're old. I'm yeah. not gonna die or get shin splints just from wearing it. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well well you you're a big fan of like the ultra Escalante. Is that yeah. is that what it's called? Right. The white toe box yeah. sort of shoes. Let it lets you it lets you breathe safe. You you have those shoes, right? They might be one of those good one size fits all approach to um having minimal pairs of shoes while on a trip
0: yeah that is true i feel like the only reason why i'm not using the ultra Escalante as my do-it-all shoe including walking around is because of the zero drop and i know i don't want to freak out about zero drop most people can handle zero drop it's just it changes the way you run a little bit and i feel like when i wear the ultra Escalante, i'm on my forefoot a lot more and because i'm predominantly a heel striker i feel like i still want a shoe that will make me run normally. But if I get used to forefoot striking and stuff, I think there's nothing wrong with wearing outros as my daily trainer and my casual shoes yeah. down the line. So yeah.
1: I think... What do I like putting in... To say, I'm just thinking about saving space, right? Um, in the context of traveling. Would switching it up with like an insole Ooh. do anything? True. I didn't even think about yeah. that. But
0: yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Yeah, yeah. possible. True. Because, yeah, as a lot of people know, different drops can work different muscles too. So, yeah, you just want any sort of variation. Because if you just bring the regular factory ink of the ultra Escalante and then your extra, you know, heel lift drop, heel drop lift, whatever ink <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that will add a bit of variation. So, that's like, you know, two shoes but not actually taking up too much space kind of thing. So, yeah. that's a good idea. I've never thought of that. Yeah, uh, I only just thought of it then. There you go, that's that's your tip for today. But yeah, I guess, what else? In terms of clothes, I feel like I also did a pretty bad job while Walter did a good job because I still brought a ton of cotton t-shirts and stuff. But, you know, we'll go more into climate later, but Thailand is very humid. You go out for a walk and you're kind of sweating. So I don't think I needed as many cotton t-shirts because... I'm always picking the synthetic shirts over the cotton shirts right now, because they just feel better in this kind of climate. But, Mm. yeah, maybe I need to watch out for the amount of shirts I'm bringing too. Because, funnily enough, I have a feeling I have one shirt for every day of the trip, but then I'm pretty sure I'm wearing the same shirt over and over again. So a lot of my shirts are going to waste. But I do wear multiple shirts per day, so hopefully I have gone through every shirt, and I feel like I have already, but... I think it wasn't as necessary to bring, you know, however many shirts I did. I didn't count, so I don't know. But, yeah. yeah. I think the fact that you put everything in a backpack has inspired me a little bit to be more minimal for my next travel trip, for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So then, um, if you were, like, in my situation, right, would you do, like, just going for the race at first and then travelling a bit afterwards, would you have packed any differently
0: yeah like if i was in your shoes where you're traveling for eight days right yeah yeah Yeah, eight days if it's for eight days it's a tricky one like i'm in a difficult situation because i do youtube and that requires you to Well, it's not required but it's nice to have your proper dslr camera and your gopro and stuff and that that kind of adds up a little bit obviously maybe i could be minimal and ditch the camera and make like a gopro vlog That could work, but I think for the most part, if I'm going traveling, I do like to have my DSLR camera, and that itself takes up a lot of space, so I think just that will be the limiting factor, meaning I probably would still take a suitcase in most scenarios, but I can see myself in a few situations where I'd be like, you know, it's not worth bringing my camera. Like, if we go into some city that's not that scenic, and I don't think I'll take any, like, landscape shots or nice-looking video shots, then... I think I'll get away with just a GoPro. So th- it would depend on where I'm going to, I would say. And yeah, another tricky part would be the shoes again. So if I can work on the being more minimal in terms of shoes type of situation, then maybe I will downgrade to just a backpack in the future it's just eight days. Because, you know, you're not going to die from not having too much stuff for eight days. I feel like you can get away without a lot of stuff for eight days. So yeah, yeah. Um, I think going on all these trips makes you realize how much of the stuff that you bring, you don't actually use. And I feel like even this trip, i made a step forward compared to normal, because I came with half a suitcase regarding what you don't need and what you actually truly need. So yeah, just ne- nailing down and going for the essentials is an important part to consider when you're packing. Just try and really think w- whether you want to carry the extra weight to end up not using it at all, you know? So yeah, I think that's a great question because it makes you kind of think, about whether you actually need more than a backpack for an eight day trip but
1: yeah yeah it's just what's important to you really for sure yeah yeah and on that like i had a important consideration because i'm based in brisbane right this thailand trip is like in the middle of going from brisbane to sydney right so i had to consider both (laughs) packing for sydney and packing for thailand To very, at this time of year, very, very different climates. And I thought I would definitely prioritize packing for Thailand. So I only had, back to Sydney, I only had like one pair of track pants and one um, jacket. On top of everything else that I brought specifically for Thailand. These sort of really nice uh, synthetic clothing. So um, yeah, that was just... Something I had to consider what's important to me and feeling comfortable in Thailand was definitely much more worth it to me than just being a little more comfortable in Sydney.
0: Wait, give us more of a timeline. So you went from Brisbane to Sydney for about a week and yeah. then you came here and then what are you doing after?
1: And then I'm going back to Sydney for a couple of days and back to Brisbane okay, for true. uni. So
0: you're spending more, well not, maybe not no. more days, maybe around the it's same amount of similar. days. It's quite similar. But because you're predominantly a runner, you can get away with just shirts, even in yeah. winter, for the most part, as long as you have one jacket and track pants. I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. But yeah, with that, let's move on to accommodation. So, accommodation is always an interesting one for me because, as a lot of you know, I, I'm a big fan of you know reaching out and seeing, you know, if I can save a few bucks from getting friends to help me out, kind of thing. So I don't have much experience like having to book hotels and whatnot I seem to travel the same countries that I have connections with already so those are Japan Thailand Australia Singapore Singapore and Malaysia so I have a lot of close friends in all five countries and I feel like every time I go there I'd have friends there you know even if it's just a few to kind of help me out for that trip a fair amount which I you know really appreciate yeah because of that I have very little experience in having to book hotels in that sort of stuff. So maybe you can talk a bit more about that. But well, I guess if you're traveling for a race, you have to consider how close you want to be to the race. And also, I don't yeah. know. What what else are there? Well, that that's the thing.
1: Like I feel like the closer you get to the actual race, like you know, the more expensive it is. Because it is like... I'm just thinking about people going to the major marathons. Like, I reckon the price would go up in those areas. <laughs> Soda's method of having lots of connections is, like, pretty big brain, right? Because for our our trip here in Thailand, right, um, we were in the same sort of area, right, um, where we got our accommodation through SOTO's connections, right? So it was only, um, like, uh, what, 10, 15-minute taxi into the actual race venue for us to then go there. Yeah, so that was really well, thank you <laughs> for for organizing yeah. that for us because yeah. also another thing about your accommodation is um considering like how comfortable you can be right so what do you reckon about the accommodation that we got yeah
0: i mean i think for the most part it was pretty you know we had a pretty luxurious time like we had a miller we had a pool like we could come back from a run Super hot and sweaty, and just jump into the pool yeah. straight away. And then we'd had like a really nice shower, and then we have a nice proper king bed to sleep on. So I think we were quite sport this trip. But yeah, I guess it kind of depends on how much money you're willing to invest in the good conditions that you desire before a race. You know, because yeah. you could do the cheap and easy way of going to a hostel, or well, maybe not easy. Because yeah, hostels are cheap, but maybe you have to sleep with other people that aren't sleeping at the same time as you Mm. or don't have the same thing. Because people can go out at night, yeah, but then you have a race early morning. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff to factor in. But like Walter touched on, having the connections is kind of helpful. And I know I always talk about this, and people are probably fed up of hearing me say this, but unfair advantages in life is like a concept where you know not everyone is has the same advantages in life, and you can't control some of them, you can control some of them, but the people that take advantage of it, you know, get the most out of life, basically, and that's why I always try and work on my connections and try and meet a lot of people, because you never know which person can introduce you to another person that can help you out, because all this stuff is super coincidental. I literally just put on my story, does anyone happen to know if there's a villa that we can rent near this kind of location or anything like that, and A few people hit me up And one of them was just like my good friend Who happened to build a villa And we were the first ones to ever stay in that villa And we got an insane deal Like ridiculous We probably weren't saying how much But we were paying pennies And living like kings basically Yeah exactly Um, yeah just putting yourself out there Asking for help Because you know there's nothing wrong With putting up a story and asking a question right And I feel like not enough people do that But I do that quite often Because I shamelessly ask for any help yeah. or questions when I when I want an answer to something. Even I got food poisoning on race week, which we'll also touch on in the next topic. I asked for tips from that and I got a lot of help from that too, from people. So yeah, I think always networking and stuff is pretty helpful because you never know how much they can help you down the line. Mm. And then obviously all you have to do in return is show your appreciation and then help them when they need it or ask if they need help with anything else, you know? Cause mm. Obviously, we got a good deal at that villa that we stayed in with eight people, for context, but I am, in return, filming, like, a promotional video kind of thing for them, and, yeah, it was, like, a good deal that benefits both of us, so it was a win-win situation, and, yeah, it just, it was a great time, yeah, Yeah, I enjoyed that.
1: Yeah, and for me, right, um, I, I don't know if I'll ever travel somewhere just purely for the race, right, like... Same, like you, you're here also to meet up with friends, like, um, and uh, everyone else that you have met in Phuket, right? And I just want to, yeah, explore Thailand, see see what it's all about. So, Man, I'm gonna cut you off there, but Walter is actually insane. I feel like
0: because I spent the whole time with him so far in Phuket, I've seen how much he is enthusiastic about, you know, getting to try all the Thai foods and experiencing what it's like to be a true local because yeah. yeah he's not bothered about all the tourists and stuff he's like let's get local let's have the most exotic foods, let's go to the most exotic places <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and yeah i can literally tell that he's not here to just race he's yeah. here to have a fun time experience what it's like to be living in thailand and yeah going really in depth but yeah, yeah. carry on
1: <laughs> well yeah the reason why i mentioned this is in the context of accommodation i have a interesting like would you rather for you right okay would you rather have like the really nice luxurious accommodation for the lead up to your race and then like like hostile situation afterwards or would you want to enjoy the luxurious accommodation like after the race as an award uh, as a reward
0: yeah that's super interesting would you rather um but i'm gonna have to go with what we are doing which is like having the luxurious lead up to a race followed by the hostels and traveling and really getting immersed into the culture because we'll talk about this more in the food section of this podcast Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of factors that you need to consider because leading up to the race you want to have as good of conditions as possible because you want to get your sleep in you want everything to be easy in life basically Mm -hmm. leading up to race because you don't want any. To kind of throw you off And Honestly The food really did throw me off We'll talk more about that (laughs) soon um, Yeah I don't know Would you agree with that? Like I feel like Before the race is more important Because after that You can do whatever you want You know There's nothing I'm training for now So I feel like I can do anything I want now
1: Yeah Well for me Right I reckon it depends on uh, How much I care about this race True Right So If I'm In for a PB in for like a good time right then i reckon i'd go luxurious first but if it's more for the experience in general just being in a different country and whatnot i reckon i would take up the hostel first and then just enjoy the experience afterwards right because for the race that we just did right it was not definitely not a pb performance from either of us (laughs) yeah? yeah but um, for factors we'll get into later, yeah, it was more of like, yeah, we'll just enjoy it, see how it goes, that sort of thing.
0: Definitely. I think, yeah, you're right. It would depend on how much you care about the race. Because I can do some races throughout the year where I don't really care about the outcome. And I feel like, you know, I can just get by without having ideal conditions. So in that case, I think a hostile experience wouldn't matter as much. But in this context, I wanted to do well despite the heat and humidity so i definitely wanted that kind of luxurious build-up mm-hmm. and yeah i'm glad i had that but for context walter and i in a few days or two days are gonna go to bangkok and you know there we're gonna have a hostel experience we're gonna try and eat like locals and you know well i'll be in a scenario where i'm not familiar with it as well because i haven't been to bangkok that many times but yeah that should be really fun because i don't think i've been to a place that I'm not familiar with in a while. So, yeah, that'll be
1: super fun. Yeah, but, but you're you're fluent in Thai, so we'll, <laughs> you'll be able to get us around. Have but. you
0: noticed, it is slowly coming back yeah. every day. Because yeah. I could tell, <laughs> we were on a, a local bus that no tourists know about just now before we came back to record this podcast. And I overheard the driver saying, we're going to charge these guys 30 instead of 20. And the local person that got us, that got off before us, paid 20. I was like, there we go. I bet you that he's going to charge us 30. And he did. Yeah. Like, the, we, I tried to just pay 20, but then they're like, oh, sorry, it's 30 per person. So yeah. But I then, was right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But then for context, that's the one Australian dollar versus $1.50. Yeah. So we're we're, we went, we went to, yeah, we weren't like, costing it all. We cost just, about it.
0: yeah, we were happy to pay the extra bit. Um, but it's just cool that I'm slowly getting it back. I'm, you know, I will be, I will get there. <laughs> I yeah, <promise> so yeah. <laughs> once we
1: hit Bangkok, oh man, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm kidding.
0: Yeah, well, I think I am a bit disappointed that my Thai has gone a little worse. Same with my Japanese. Like, living in Australia for five years, you don't have to speak any other language, basically, because everyone speaks English. So I think I was quite spoiled in that culture. Mm. And now I'm suffering from that <laughs> a little. But, you know, it's cool to come back though. Um, I've, I've loved it here so far. And yeah, I want to make sure to come back down the line as well. We got some unfinished business in this race <laughs> that we did the past yeah. few days. But I think on that note, we'll move on to our next topic, which is food. And I think Walter has a little less to talk about because, you know, he didn't suffer with food poisoning, as a lot of people know. Um, but I don't know. Do you have any questions for me regarding food?
1: Yeah. So what's, like? what are the big important considerations?
0: Yeah, I think... Considerations, you know, if you're going to a country like Thailand or, let's just say, third world countries, there's a lot of stuff to consider. We're going to link in water as well into food. Oh yeah, uh, because easy. in Australia we have the luxury of opening up the tap water, filling up a bottle, and drinking it. But honestly, coming to Thailand, sometimes I, I almost do it by instinct, like turn on the tap and try and fill up my water bottle and I'm like oh crap actually we can't drink this so yeah there's a lot to consider because we get used to living in certain countries and how it works there but yeah even in Thailand some of the ice that they put in drinks are made with tap water but some of them are made with like proper bottled clean water so it's important to do your research see what the water situation is like there Mm -hmm. because I think the food poisoning I got probably came from tap water ice but we, we're still not sure uh so i don't want to make any definite claims but yeah watch out for water and also watch out for food because you know thailand is kind of known for their street food it's you know absolutely delicious like now oh, that we yeah. finished the race we've been you know eating <laughs> probably too much especially walter walter is loving it too much but, well, but walter doesn't care <laughs> he's gonna eat as much as he can pretty much but yeah we want to Trying and keep an eye out for you know is this food made today or has it been sitting there for a long time eating food that's been cooked in front of you and stuff is quite important and maybe avoiding certain stuff like raw fish or whatever yeah maybe vegetables that may not be washed and stuff so yeah being able to see the kitchen from where you're s- sitting at a restaurant as well it can be a little more handy as well but yeah and also just eating packaged stuff like from supermarkets or cooking yourself you know so there's a lot of considerations i guess but it's mainly to just pay attention to what you're eating like every single thing that you're consuming you need to think about and also do your research if you know any locals in that area hit them up if you know a smaller youtuber or influencer that probably will get back to their followers and fans a bit more maybe you can hit them up as well because i think influencers love being hit up sometimes Surprisingly,
1: and he's speaking from experience no no I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: I just realized I made it sound a bit like that but <laughs> um, but I love being shouted up by random people though. I'm not talking about like followers and stuff like if yeah. we go to a race and people are like oh you know do you have any tips or something after them seeing me do well in a race or something I, I love that as well you know so yeah. I think going back to what I said earlier any connection is great and You know, asking a genuine question about a certain country that someone lives in or comes from is a great excuse to get to know someone else, you know? So I think that's another tactic I use to try and keep in touch with people because before I came back to Phuket, I spent a lot of time catching up with my friends that I haven't talked to in a while to try and, you know, work out what the situation is back here in Thailand after I haven't been for a long time. Like, is there anything new I need to know about and stuff? So, but... What about you? Talk about your food experiences so far. It it's been pretty positive. Like yeah. you haven't had any issues. No, no, no. Yeah,
1: because uh, yeah, the thing is, uh, I t- didn't really want to limit myself, you know. And it's also a good idea if you are like me, don't want to limit yourself, to not have too many days before the race and concentrate the majority of your like travel after the race. So you so you don't spend all those days suffering, being like, oh, I want to eat it, try, be a little bit adventurous, but then, like, not being able to because you got the race in your back of your mind, right? But having said so, right, I, I think I was um, pretty laissez-faire with how I ached before the race, right? Where, well, I took recommendations from you and your local friends in Phuket about. Well, when we were at the market, what to eat and what not to eat, such as sushi, cause <laughs> yeah. it's just sitting out there, yeah. right? You can't, no refrigeration, no nothing, just Yeah, flies, you're probably like landing on it yeah. constantly, dude. Yeah, yeah. Or like fruit with the skin still on, cause it's probably washed with tap water, mm. which you wouldn't be able to do. But fruit like durian, which they like cut into, yeah. right? and prepare for you right then and there it would be nice it would be good yeah yeah sure. and yeah stuff that's like well like it, it looks so good like uh what we had this morning right it came we just walked down the road right and there was like this little guy uh, on a mo- on a motorbike we was like had a like a cart on the side and with a grill so he's grilling skewers he had um sticky rice there too oh that was yeah that was great
0: yeah that was absolutely epic um yeah that's what i love about about thailand like a lot of those motorbikes just have a sidecar thing and yeah they vend kind of food on the spot and they can be anywhere you know so they can just drive around where the demand is so they'd be different motorbikes at certain locations every day with different types of food so you get to experience a lot of stuff yeah even if you're staying in the same place every single morning so yeah that's super cool but yeah what walter said about fruit as well is very good information for other people like If they have a peel... Well, I mean, if they have the skin on it and they have to, like, cut it open on the spot, then it's, like, more reliable because you can see them opening it. You know it's not going to be contaminated in the short amount of time between them cutting it and then you consuming it. So, yeah, having that peace of mind is also very handy. But, you know, now that I don't have a race coming up, I'm pretty, you know, chill. I'd I'd happily eat more adventurously, (laughs) as you mentioned.
1: Yeah, and then we, (laughs) like, today, just before coming here, we just hopped off the bus thing yeah. and then we went and stopped and had like a Thyme milk tea at a random bender yeah as well just on the on <laughs> the side of the road yeah and um yeah it had ice in it but yeah you, you had a little tip about the ice if, it, if it's got a hole in the middle yeah right then apparently it's it's made of bottled water yeah probably
0: yeah whereas if it's just a random ice cube they might be using tap water so knowing that sort of stuff as well from the locals that live there can be handy and luckily i knew that because it's always been the case even when i was a kid living in phuket thailand so i think travel places that at least one of your friends have been to because then you have the second mover's advantage where you know you know from the other people yeah um, what to do what not to do so i think there was a quote by someone that i read it was something along the lines of smart people don't make the same mistakes but wise people learn from other people's mistakes so yeah try and wow. live your life that way but the i guess the adventurous ones have to make their mistakes first and then the smart and wise people learn from them but <laughs> but i guess before we move on to the next topic what has been some of your highlights in terms of the food and drink experience in thailand like what what do you <sighs> like <laughs> can I say can i can
1: I say everything I don't know, like everything to <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah, like um <laughs> I was in Malaysia last year, and it's a pretty similar vibe yeah with like the random uh, vendors on the side of the street, you just go ha- have whatever, yeah, and like I don't know, it's all just good, and what makes it even better is that it's super cheap yeah. right compared to Australian prices, and the portions are a little bit smaller, so it, it it really gets you to get multiple different dishes at once. And if you're going in a group, even better, it means more yeah. multiple little dishes. So you can, yeah, have like so many diverse yeah. tastes. And
0: you can go to a restaurant with a group of five and order like 10 dishes and you'll be uh, fine. At least, yeah. at least. At, yeah, least yeah. at least, yeah.
1: Especially if you've just done a race. True, true, yeah. yeah.
0: And then, yeah, there you go. You've you got like 11 dishes to try out or however many you order. Um, At once In the same meal You know So Yeah Yeah. I think That's the cool thing About Southeast Asia Like the cheap food Allows for more Variability Every single meal And That's super cool Because There's so much to explore About Southeast Asia In general Well And specifically Thailand Like You know We've had a lot of dishes But there's probably Countless other dishes That we're still yet to (laughs) Try out I think I always gravitate Towards the same dishes Because I know What they like already But I think it'll be better if I become a bit more adventurous like Walter, because I feel like sometimes I get too much into the realm of being a creature of habit and having the same thing, because, yeah, I just love certain things, and I don't want to change it when I love it, you know?
1: Yeah, well, we'll be traveling together, so... Yeah, (laughs) yeah, we'll have that sort of diverse taste. Except
0: I don't think I'll be having any insects or organs of animals when I go to Bangkok. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Unless you somehow convince me. But I don't, I can't see that happening, to be honest. But right. we'll see.
1: Well, with the liver skewer this morning. Well, I, I can't guarantee it was liver. Yeah. Like, it was we, some we sort, of it was not It was some sort of organ. Probably yeah. Most likely liver. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had that. It was it was nice. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> ask you if you wanted any. I, sh- I should have. My bad. Yeah. I would have
0: said no. <laughs> <laughs> now, moving on more to running specific spell. I mean, oh. not that the other parts weren't running related, but um yeah so when it comes to traveling it's a bit harder to train due to a few factors and maybe walter can add on if he can think of anything else but i feel like everything takes a little longer when you're traveling like you know it takes longer to find your stuff out of the suitcase and it takes longer to get familiarized with your surroundings and your immediate geographical location like is there a 7-eleven nearby where i can get the stuff that i forgot to bring or whatever so stuff like that can add up and then it ends up being harder to fit the time into train. So i feel like it's good to accommodate for that and not stress about running the same amount of volume as you normally would but i guess there are ways you can work around it and you know if there is a will there is a way most of the time but yeah it's good to be realistic and think about the factors that can affect how much you train beforehand yeah well if you're
1: traveling for a race then you're most likely going to be tapering true so that kind of works in your favor yeah i guess yeah so if not traveling for a race and you're just trying to fit in France yeah they they, it is a bit difficult especially yeah here in Southeast Asia not just because of the heat which we'll cover later but also because of the road design because right? there's no there's no sidewalks here. You you gotta risk your life with exactly. every 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 run that you do.
0: Yeah, I listened to a podcast recently where Ned Brockman, for those who don't know, he ran across the entirety of Australia and he was running on highways the whole time. And there were like what he calls road trains, which are like humongous trucks going like apparently 140 kilometers an hour or something like that. Right, like bulleting past him the whole time but it kind of felt almost like that but not that extreme but you know it was still very scary just being on the side of the road where there's no shoulder or footpath or yeah. anything and you're literally on the car lane and cars would like zoom past you or even trucks sometimes too. yeah well so, i reckon yeah. if
1: you're a, if you're a cyclist as well you yeah. you would be kind of used to it right because yeah. thinking in my cycling experience when it's on like main roads and stuff That does still happen in Australia, Uh, but running, it's a little (laughs) bit more scary as well.
0: Yeah, like running is super easy in Australia. I feel like there's a lot of good routes along water watersides that are specifically made for running and walking and maybe cycling sometimes as well in certain areas. But yeah, Thailand, I feel like there's not enough of those places where you purely go to run. There's good beach culture, but not the most practical for running. Because the roads around there aren't very good either. Um, There's not really any parks that are made specifically for kind of running as well. I mean, not that Sydney is like that too. But there's just more accessible parks for runners, I feel like. And more pedestrian friendly.
1: My question to you is, like, how do you find out the routes in the area that you're in?
0: I'll be straight up honest. I don't. I feel like I just throw myself in the deep end and try and learn from running around. Like, what roads are good, what roads are not. with roots i feel like it's too not a waste of time but it's too much effort for me to go through all that so i'd rather just experience it myself and then work out where to run where not to run because usually if i go to a location i'll be there for a week or two and i would have the first few days to familiarize myself with the area and then after that like i said i'm a creature of habit and i feel like i can stick to the same roots mm. whereas if i'm living somewhere long term like when i spent five years in australia i was more adventurous um, And I lived in different places as well, which helped. We had access to good transport too, which also helped. but yeah, like right now we 're staying at this place in a place called Boat Lagoon, lovely place, but I think i 'm not feeling as adventurous, I want to stick to where I know because I know that it 's safe to run there, so mm-hmm. yeah we 're going to run after this, and we 'll stick to yeah. the familiar
1: routes yeah, yeah. well it, I was thinking, uh, like comparing my the time in singapore when yeah. i was there to your time in singapore yeah right? i did what you were suggesting like um uh, just going around the area and just exploring it through running yeah right? but i feel like you might have gotten more out of your time in singapore because you had you connected with the local running clubs yeah. to take that pressure off of like finding roots and whatnot yeah what do you I reckon should... about that
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's all about just having a good mix of both, right? Because sometimes running is fun doing it alone and going through the hard part of having to run somewhere to learn the area. But it's also nice to have that good balance of relying on a local friend or, you know, the local community to take you around the best spots. So maybe sometimes you can look for a run club that will take you. On a run where you don't have to think about the route and just rely on them and then you can actually meet people from there that can also tell you about different routes in your area as well so yeah having a good mix of both is always good i think in any country that i'm in i always try and have a good variation of doing some runs with people and doing some runs alone because sometimes i do like having that alone time to think about stuff too because some of my best ideas in life come from runs and if they don't they come from showers (laughs) yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a fun fact for you guys Yeah, all my good ideas come from runs and showers yeah I think if you go to Singapore next time look into what clubs there are because that's an easier thing to do I feel like and then the clubs can help you out with where to run next yeah,
1: yeah. well now, now that we stayed with a couple of Singaporeans I, I do have that connection now yeah. so I would just feel more comfortable like uh, running around there
0: yeah 100% well is this the time when we move on to The factor that was (laughs) the biggest pain in our life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, do you want to talk about what that factor
1: is? (laughs) Yeah, it's the heat. Yeah. And humidity, because they combine together to create an absolute monster.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like all I've been doing this trip on social media is trying to justify how slow (laughs) my races are going to be. Like, that's what I did before the race. And then after the race, I'm trying to justify on social media why i ran that time <laughs> so yeah i should probably stop doing that because like in the grand scheme of things no one's ever going to know unless they come and experience them- themselves and then half the people or even most of the people are not really going to care what time you're going to yeah. run you know like i'm not going to lose friends from running six minutes slower than what i'm capable of you know so yeah. i think i'm just overthinking it too much but um, yeah the heat and humidity is on another level Um, in Thailand, and like Walter said, when you combine those two horrific factors, like, it's a recipe for disaster sometimes as well. So, you know, a lot of factors that wouldn't be as important in other countries suddenly becomes very important, like getting your electrolytes in to replace the salts that you're losing when you sweat, and also rehydrating properly. So humidity is known to be a factor that affects running because... Your body cools down by evaporation of sweat from the skin. So some people think if the sweat drips off, you still cool down. But in reality, it has to evaporate from the skin in order to cool you down. And in a humid climate, it's harder for sweat to evaporate because there's already a lot of moisture in there, meaning there's less of a concentration gradient, I guess you could say, which makes it harder for the sweat to evaporate. And then, yeah, you just end up overheating a lot quicker than a dry climate. yeah, yeah, it's a big recipe for disaster. But what are your thoughts?
1: <laughs> totally agree. Yeah. Right, it's humidity just sucks. Right, yeah. like um, on our shakeout run that we did the day before the ten k, I noticed like usually around that pace, like what we're we doing, like five thirty yeah. sort of thing. Usually around that pace, my heart rate is normally in Sydney and Brisbane currently sticking around one forty yeah. ish right there it jumped up to almost 160 so from that moment on i knew it it was going to be tough in the races right i already knew when as soon as i landed walked out of the air-conditioned airport that oh man it's different it's different it's gonna be wild but seeing the numbers on the screen just justified it to me
0: same with like perceived effort like 530 would feel like an absolute crawl and almost feel like i'm not running at all in a colder and dry climate but that shakeout run was hard i'm not gonna lie like <laughs> yeah i wasn't feeling 100 percent. i would say it definitely felt like i was working harder than 5 30 pace but yeah yeah that's what industry you. your rate of perceived exertion which is like just how crappy you feel is gonna be worse in yeah. a humid climate so maybe even accommodating for that by going a little slower it's a good idea. So, yeah, that's another factor to kind of keep in mind. But, yeah, is there yeah. anything more to add or should we go well, into the race recap?
1: The race recap kind of blends in with this, right? Because the whole like um, race was about how do we <laughs> tackle this issue True. of the heat, right? How do we actually moderate our performance on the day to be so that we don't blow up and suffer? throughout the race i
0: was searching on youtube the night before oh yeah I, how saw, to, I, saw, I saw how to race in heat and humidity and stuff and walter was i feel like he was just laughing and and then he eventually got bored and fell asleep but yeah yeah i was really trying to do my research on how to you know race in humidity but i didn't really get that many good tips i feel like the best thing to do is just accept that everyone's in the same both and yeah. try and not let that get to your head and and adapt your racing strategy to the fact that you're going to be running a lot slower but yeah. i think the toughest thing for me mentally was the fact that i knew that some of the locals are going to be more acclimatized than us coming from a country that's not as hot and humid so mm-hmm. i think that's what was getting me mentally quite a lot but i think even then it's good to just be confident and trust your ability and trust the training that you've gone through. Because, you know, you can do all the research and be prepared for humidity in the world. But if you haven't trained for it, you're not going to do well. So mm. even in a humid climate, most of the performance is going to come from how much training you've done. Because yeah. at the end of the day, for context, we have four trophies right next to us right now. <laughs> um, from a big yeah. weekend. <laughs> all of them are from us too. And we live in countries that aren't as hot and humid. So yeah. at the end of the day, I think... The training matters, so yeah, it's good to focus on that. But what are the specific things that you did in the race that you tried to do to counter the humidity? Because I know you had a few well, interesting strategies. Yeah,
1: well, let's first talk about what went wrong in the 10K. True. right? Because that was my first time racing in the humid yeah. conditions. Um, starting off in the 10K, we were going like, what, 340-ish yeah. pace, right? For the first 2Ks. And then this random dude makes a move at like what seemed like two thirty per kilometer. Yeah, he just at the two k mark, at the two k yeah. mark, full on sprint. I was like, yeah. whoa, <laughs> yeah, like because um, yeah. it was very like tactical. No one wanted to lead until then, and then um, that happened, right? And it was like a whole step up in the perform performance, right? That we needed to do in the perceived effort from three forty to three twenty. Yeah. Right, normally three twenty is like comfortable like doable 10k pace yeah right but in my personal experience that's you know on that day right it started going wrong quickly for, for me because it just felt like such a big jump with the humidity right it, as a big factor right so i started overheating right and you know uh, soda you you did a little bit better, right? You got to like, stay up with uh, the leaders, right? Whereas I, you know, try to go uh, reach them a little bit slower, but I didn't quite make it in the end, right? But yeah, so how did you feel with the 10K?
0: Yeah, again, I feel like every single pace level just felt slightly harder than it normally would be yeah. in other climates. So... I I was actually glad that it went out slow and no one wanted to take a leak because I was feeling really good for the first two Ks. When, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was I really was going feeling slower. so good. It was feeling
1: yeah. like so smooth. I was
0: like, you know what? I I hope it's like this the whole way because then I kind of back my kick even though I know Walter would be a little bit quicker with his kick. Yeah. Oh, we don't know. We'll, we don't know. We we've never had a race where we had to kick each to the other finish, finish. Yeah. But yeah, I was hoping that it would stay like that because I knew Walter and I would be up there as one of the best kickers if it did become a yeah. final we, 400 We promised,
1: promised ourselves not to, like each other, not to make a move before the 6K mark, like yeah. after, the, after the main hill in the race. Yeah, But since other people went earlier, we yeah. couldn't really do that.
0: Yeah, so we had to adapt our strategy during the race and just go with our heart. Because I feel like I didn't want to let those two people that started breaking to get too far away so i wanted to yeah you know maintain a bit of these things but yeah keep them within my eyesight so that i can still gauge whether they were going to fall back or push on and then make my decision from there so yeah i think the tricky part is you never know what's going to happen in right so you have to kind of adapt to it but yeah. yeah as soon as we started going quicker after the 2k mark yeah I-, I was struggling as well but you know at the end of the day at that point all you can do is be as mentally tough as possible And I wasn't mentally tough enough that day. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I did lead a lot of that race as well, though, once I caught up to them. When I did, I made sure to continue and make a move. But, you know, they could track me down and, you know, with one and a half Ks to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they made another move and I was like, I'll save it for tomorrow. Yeah,
1: same. I got to the last K and I looked back. No one was too close to me. Yeah. Right. So I thought... You know what fourth not bad right not great either in yeah. in that context right because my last k was like almost four minutes <laughs> yeah yeah because like i had the same thing like literally like give up today right so that you can do a little bit better tomorrow yeah right? it was the 10k was like a good experience right like, yeah
0: to get familiarized with what it feels like yeah run at certain paces, because then we had that knowledge going into the half marathon yeah, where, where we were very conservative. The first three K's. we went out at three fifty pace. We were feeling good. And I think I'm going to say that the conditions were just a tiny bit better yeah. than the 10k. Still hot but and humid though. Yeah. Like it, I don't want to make it sound like it was a lot better. It was a tiny, tiny, tiny bit better.
1: Cause we started one hour earlier as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but yeah, it's still, it's still Thailand. Yeah. Like it, it <laughs> At night, it doesn't go... Drop below 25 degrees Celsius. Yeah, for Celsius. Sure. Yeah. Humidity If Celsius. it
0: goes down to yeah. 25, it's a good day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in uh, Thailand. Yeah. A good night, sorry. But, yeah. yeah.
1: So, so anyway. then, yeah, the 10K happened first, right? We both think that we underperformed in that race, right? Yeah. And then, um, yeah, the half marathon came around the next day, right? And we did a couple of things differently
0: then yeah so i think the good thing about the 10k is that well with every bad race i think i am sad about it for a bit but i always make sure to let it fuel me because it's a great opportunity to let that anger push you in the next race right because you don't want the same thing to happen you want to be proud of what you've done so i tried to have a more positive outlook i feel like actually i would love you to tell me and the viewers and the listeners would you say that my mindset was a lot better going into the half marathon on the second day than the 10k
1: yeah not only your mindset but like your fueling as well like yeah exactly. you you yeah with your food poisoning all, all yeah. you, you you were recovered from it right but yeah. your appetite hadn't really come back so yeah all you had before the 10k was the edamame yeah, I just dinner. had a
0: few planks, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Walter and I was, tried to feed me some yeah, of his food, even.
1: Yeah, I was like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> you, you, like, I knew, like, yeah, no, it, it didn't look too great. like, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I just could tell that I wasn't confident for going into 10K. Like, I was being quite negative as well, I'll be honest. I woke up and I was like, okay, this is like the top three crappiest I've felt ever on race day. I'm not going to do well. I said that to Ben as well when you went there. But, yeah, um, yeah, going into the half, I was like, you know, I fueled up a lot better. I ate a lot of food the night before. I have hydrated a lot better. I had two bottles of electrolyte drinks. um, And most importantly, I went in with a more confident mindset. I I just told myself, no matter what, I'm going to make this a better race. I feel good. And I'm going to run my own race and not let humidity get to my head as much. And just try and push on as much as possible And dig deep So yeah yeah. But with that being said We also had the knowledge About how much the humidity affects us So we had a good idea of what pace to go out at So we capped it at like 352 And we actually ran Metronomic 352s for the first 3Ks
1: Perfect pace It was beautiful And then Soda decided to drop a 344 The next K (laughs) And for me That was like a little bit too big of a jump Uh, So I stuck around like Three fifty, you know, like um, just around that for a little bit more, right? Before uh, making it a little bit more of a climb to up the place. Yeah, a gradual
0: build up in pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Rather than a sudden, because I think I just felt exceptionally good after that three k mark when we did oh, yeah. 352s So I was like, I'm gonna count on the fact that I'm truly feeling good. And it's not just the first 3Ks of the (laughs) half. And then that's why I just started winding up the pace. I immediately overtook like probably a good 5 people in the next kilometer.
1: Yeah, whereas I overtook them like 7 or 8Ks in. Yeah, Yeah.
0: but I was just so happy with the momentum. And I was like, let's keep building. I want to go as close as I can to the front. And yeah, I'm just so happy with how it went, but... I feel like the humidity was slowly creeping in as I was increasing the pace inevitably because that's what happens. Like we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. every step up in pace feels, you know, that little bit harder. And I could tell that, but I think I was mentally stronger. So, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, on that, like the humidity creeping up, that's uh, because, you know, you keep working really hard. Yeah. Right? I, like, I didn't really think about it until I was at the race precinct, right? But I... I had brought a bottle of water just cuz like i uh, yeah just wanted to drink beforehand like make sure that i had my fluids up then i had like half the bottle left once uh, like we went into the onto the start line i thought you know what let's just run with it right and that turned out to be <laughs> the most brilliant thing i've done in a long time because it meant that i could always regulate my body temperature always Pour water on my head or in like um or drink water whenever whenever i wanted to right so i could really feel in control because yeah once we went up a hill right that extra bit of he- effort right if i hadn't had the water it would have been like in the 10k where it would have just added to the heat that i was already experiencing and just made me a lot worse right but I would be able to um, pour water on my head, and as it went past my ears, i feel it, like, boiling yeah. after that point, right? So, and, but it helped, really. It, like, it looks like a very amateur move, right? You wouldn't, you, yeah. would, you would count out someone who's holding a water bottle at the, at the start, start line. Yeah. yeah, like, they look like, a, as you said, like, a real bat <laughs> bat <bat-love, laughs> yeah, sort of, sort of vibe, but... Like, uh, yeah, and even, like, the um, guy who came fifth overall or something, he, he said, like, oh, you had the water bottle. I thought you were going to be nothing sort of thing, yeah. right? But it turned out to be really brilliant. So if yeah. you are racing in the heat, right, don't be afraid to do that, right? It was, in terms of milliliters, I think it was, like, um, 250 mils yeah. on me, yeah. right? Yeah. Which so. isn't
0: too much extra weight. You no, know? no, It's not, not that bad. All. Yeah.
1: yeah. Like, at the start, it was... Yeah, well, it was pretty annoying trying to grip it yeah. at some points. But um, just, like, with a sweat and sunscreen. Yeah. But uh, it worked out fine. And then... Yeah, well, more than fine. It was...
0: What I did, actually, is I grabbed a few ice cubes from the medical tent, which they kindly hooked me up with. Because I knew that the race was delayed by five minutes so We had to stay at the start line for a little bit extra so i was like let me quickly go get an ice cube and come back to start line and i made sure to keep rubbing the ice all over my body to try and keep myself cool because i knew that the aim of this race because it's a longer race as well is to keep my body temperature controlled yeah. for as long of the race as possible and going out in a conservative pace and cooling myself down with ice beforehand definitely help with that and i actually put it on purpose in the parts that tend to get warm which is my forehead and my armpit and like maybe my chest area a little bit and yeah a little bit of my back as well so yeah just that core area where it can get hot i tried to cool down as much as i can and yeah i think it on the start line i felt pretty cool and cool was in like low temperature yeah <laughs> um, you're a cool man. dude in your tracksmith as well <laughs> yeah yeah uh, well, the Tracksmith, it's a funny story. I, I would never buy a Tracksmith, but my friends bought it for me. And <laughs> I appreciate that, by the way. So, shout out to the people that bought me Tracksmith, because I wear it all the time now. Mm. But, um, well, yeah. yeah.
1: Another thing that we did differently on the race day was that for the 10K, we had a little warm up. Right? Yep. But for the half marathon, we actually didn't. Yeah, we didn't warm up, up at all. But they, what I noticed was that at the start line of the 10K, right, my heart rate was already at 140. Right, whereas at the start line of the um, half marathon, my heart was at rest, resting. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like and at the 10K start line, I was already sweating and the sweat was sticking on me. So it wasn't evaporating to actually like cool myself off. It was sticking onto me and dripping. So it wasn't helping get my body temperature down. But then having the ice yeah, like soda on the start line, yeah, it was super helpful.
0: Yeah, I think with the... Hot and humid climate, and knowing that we were going out at three fifty pace, because we did sort of discuss, you know, what's the fastest we're gonna go for the first few k's, and we tried to really stick to our game plan this time as much as we can, because we knew that we were going at three fifties max, like fastest. I knew that it wasn't gonna feel too much of a sudden increase in pace, so I didn't feel the need to warm up so. I was actually the one out of us to, to su- suggest that we shouldn't even warm up, but I think that worked out in the end, which I'm pretty happy with, yeah
1: yeah yeah it did it did work out for us in this scenario, yeah right? yeah, colder climates definitely need the warm up exactly right, but when it's already hot, yeah. and your muscles are warm, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, I, yeah that's why I was yeah, like, yeah well, why not let's let's do it this way, yeah, yeah. so then... And going out conservatively, like at the first checkpoint where they got the times, I think we were like down 17th or something. And then we worked our way up from then. Or in my case, since I stayed even at like 350s, people were just dropping (laughs) because of of the heat and humidity. Whereas I was able to stay even. But you negativists splitted that. Yeah. Like, yeah, they were amazing. Yeah, amazing job.
0: Like, I need to properly look back at the stacks and everything, but the biggest margin of deficit I had in terms of seconds to the leader in the race was, I believe, about one minute. I think at some points it could have been... I wouldn't be surprised if it was like a minute and a half or something at one mm-hmm. point, but I kept on closing the gap all the way to the finish line, and I ended up making the gap only five seconds behind the winner, so I went from 17th and just worked my way up slowly. I didn't make any insane surges, Mm -hmm. except for, I guess, when we initially went from 350 to 344, because I got too angsty there. I was like, if we go 352 the whole time, then we're definitely not going to win. So I I thought at some point I needed to make a move. So I ramped it up quite quick there and then. But from then on, it was just a gradual build-up in pace and... You know, picking one person up after yeah, another.
1: But you had some naughty 320s in there. True, well. but that was the
0: downhill part, which gave me a bit of momentum.
1: And also the part past uh, Villa. As oh, well. yeah, true, true. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I, so I guess there were a couple, like, surges. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. 320 is quick for Thailand, I'd say. Yeah. Like, this climate. But, yeah, for those interested, I guess, you know, I, I was pretty happy with it just because of the smart racing tactics that mm. I had going into day two. Because... It's always easy to get so amped up and then go out too quick and then fade, which Mm. I used to not do as much, but recently I have fallen into the habit of going a bit too quick at the start, so it's nice to come back to how I used to race and be smart about it. And I think I really respect how Walter ran his own race as well, knew that he shouldn't follow me when I went to Mm. 3.44 pace suddenly. And yeah, he's gradually worked his way up as well. Except he was being more consistent and people were just dying. But yeah. I think
1: you did pick it up at the end though, a bit, right? No, like, no, no. Nothing. No, like, it, I yeah. was... Just kept consistent. Cause, the whole way, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Like, um... Yeah. So, I ended up also coming fourth yeah, exactly. in this race. But compared to the 10K, were like, that fourth was, like, bad in ten- Bad fourth. Like, yeah. I, I forget about it sort of thing. But this one, because I got the pacing right, felt good, and past people to get there yeah I, I was happy with this fourth yeah it's yeah. so
0: interesting because yeah it puts it into perspective how much it's not about the actual place and it's about like how you executed the race you know because mm. you got fourth both days but you're super happy with the second day whereas you're not happy with the first day yeah so yeah I think it's important to nail the racing tactics because you'll feel good when you stick to a plan and then it works out in your favour so yeah
1: yeah. But the biggest plan with dealing with the heat is to stay conservative, right? Because, yeah, you know, that so you're a 32-minute k Yeah. Yeah. Right? And um, that, I don't know, well, do you reckon that w- was realistic for the 10K we did today? Or, like, this weekend?
0: I think running a 32-minute 10K? Yeah. I think I would have never been close to 32. Like, the fastest I can probably run in a 10k in Phuket, Thailand would probably be 34 I don't know but I don't really want to put a number because you never know right? you never know
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. so that's why it's say also...
0: at the end of the day I ran 36, 22 yeah. so <laughs> yeah, it's very... hard to just say 34 yeah, I don't it's even know it's good to yeah.
1: just stay conservative in general sure. right? yeah suss yeah. it out at the start of the race yeah. and if you're going to build build slowly yeah right? definitely yeah and it made a big difference to yeah. me like um, in terms of the heart rate statistics that I remember like my heart rate was like shooting around the 190s for the 10k and then my max heart rate was 180 for the half marathon just yeah. felt in control yeah right for the for the race which is yeah, yeah definitely the feeling that you want to have when racing definitely yeah cool well does that wrap up all uh, tips yeah I don't think <laughs> we have any other things to delve into yeah right so shall we recap everything that we went through to
0: start off the podcast we talked about how packing comes into play when you're traveling overseas you know whether to bring a backpack or bring a suitcase and also like in terms of shoes like how many do we actually need yeah and clothes what versatile clothes can we bring in order to minimize how many shirts we have to bring and then the
1: insult trick (laughs) yeah Anyone's down to try that. Let us know how it goes because... Yeah. Yeah, that's not something that we've done yet, but... Yeah. Could be an idea. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah.
0: And then we talked about accommodation as well, so like the ability to network with other people, seeing that every person can give value to you in some form because they know more people as well. So using that to your advantage and yeah, seeing where the best places to stay are and stuff like that can also... Help, and there's a few ways of going about it because some accommodation is cheaper, but maybe it's not the best for preparing you for a race. Because if you're in a hostel, we have these different scenarios that make it harder to prepare for a race. And
1: after that, it was about food, yeah. So try to like enjoy, yeah, (laughs) be smart, but enjoy yourself, and like make sure to have if you're going for the trip mainly just. Make sure to have a majority of a trip after the race, so you can refuel, <laughs> like um, without any um, qualms about how you're gonna do in the race if you're gonna end up getting food poisoning or whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, and then after that, we obviously talked a bit about
0: training. You know how it's a little bit harder to fit in runs sometimes. But I guess you brought up the point about if you're tapering, then maybe it's a good thing or yeah. not a good thing, but maybe it doesn't comes matter naturally. as much. Comes yeah. naturally. comes naturally. Yeah, because you're running less, but also like route wise as well, like what's the best way to find a route when you move to a new country? Is it to explore or is it to reach out to run clubs and get them to help you find routes and stuff like that? So we covered that. And then finally, we talked about the biggest factor, which is the heat and humidity, which is what made our races a lot more difficult than what we wanted it to be. But we talked about how it's about perspective and knowing that everyone else is going through the same boat, I guess you could Mm -hmm. say. And, yeah, we gave a few tips and tricks, so, pretty solid podcast, i say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That
1: was lovely.
0: Thank you for the tips that you gave as well, because you gave me some insight in that video that I didn't know about as well, so, yeah. If you enjoyed having Walter on, we will, I mean, regardless, I mean, I'm sure no one hates Walter. Walter's <laughs> a nice guy. <laughs> um, I feel like everyone I know absolutely loves Walter, so, yeah, I want to get Walter on the podcast again, we'll talk about... His running journey because you know it's just crazy to see how quickly you've gone from new to sub 16,
1: yeah, which is insane.
0: What's your exact 5k PB now again? Uh,
1: 1558, yeah, so that's insane. Snuck under,
0: yeah, exactly. And he's only gonna get quicker, so I need to, yeah, be on my toes, be prepared. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on the pod, and I guess we'll see you soon. Yeah, uh, great stuff. <laughs>